how would you like to have a David coin? And I'm like, well, that sounds <laughs> cool as hell. Welcome to the 10th episode of Media Jungle Video Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Regeer, coming to you every week to break down the business behind media, technology, and the creator economy. We're joined with David Berkowitz, not the serial killer, but instead the keynote speaker, marketing strategy guru, and now senior vice president of marketing at Media Ocean. He also founded Serial Marketer, which minted the CMO crypto coin. We're also joined by the smartest newsman on Instagram, Moshe Wanunu, former executive producer, CBS News, Bloomberg, Fox News, and now president of Mo Digital, Joe Rogan Politics. For the left, Joe Rogan is public enemy number one. Misinformation and making money off of it. Joe Rogan is a horror. People tune into Joe Rogan because there are no guardrails. And the right chose him as a hero. Massively popular podcast host. Joe Rogan absolutely eviscerated Sanjay Gupta. Joe Rogan firing back. Wait. This guy? I think I'll probably vote for Bernie. Neil Young asked Spotify to remove his music because he didn't want to generate money for a platform that creates misinformation. And Fox is piling on. I am doing this because Spotify is spreading fake information about vaccines. And Neil Young isn't even British. They're attacking him like a bully in middle school. I'm not mad at Neil Young. I'm a huge Neil Young fan. I will do my best to balance out these more controversial viewpoints with other people's perspectives. The truth is COVID science is constantly changing. Joe Rogan is an entertainer learning to be a journalist and all these journalists have become entertainers. Stay tuned. So Mosh, what did you think about Joe Rogan's apology and the concessions they made with Spotify? It's been very interesting to watch this whole thing go down. It reminds me of the challenges that other tech platforms are having now that they are hosting a whole bunch of content. This is, you know, whether you're Facebook, whether you're Twitter and Donald Trump, whether you're YouTube and Alex Jones, they're all different in various ways. Some are ad supported, some are subscriber supported, or even Netflix Dave Chappelle, right, as a comparable example. And so um, in this case, though, you know, he's not a, a comedian or a uh, kind of inflammatory host a la Alex Jones or inflammatory tweeter like the 45th president. He's an interviewer. He's also an interviewer that has an incredibly large platform. And I think it really is hitting home for him how large of an influence he has. And with that, the responsibility that comes with having a platform like that. Um, I thought that he handled himself very well in that 10 minute video. It was part apology, part standing up for what he's doing, um, you know, saying that he will try to seek out other opinions uh, and in Joe Rogan parlance, do more of his own research to ensure that he gets accurate things out there. I thought it was noteworthy how Spotify uh, stood by him. Ultimately, Spotify knows it can stand by this. I think you saw something similar with Netflix and Dave Chappelle. You know, there was the controversy. Certain elements did not like part of his most recent sketch um, in regards to transsexuals. Ultimately, you know, you didn't see a massive campaign to drop Netflix. Netflix rode that one out. 
stood by that creator. And so I think it's noteworthy and it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens going forward when it comes to these platforms and creators, particularly the subscription platforms. Yeah, it seems like it's a bit different. It's more like Dave Chappelle and Netflix because they basically bought him out. So that ends up being like their... That's like they're more like a media company than Facebook or Twitter or other companies that don't have those deals publicly like that. Obviously, the full history here has not been written. You know, you did see Neil Young. You did see Joni Mitchell. You saw Brene Brown, significant podcaster, who said that she would not be publishing her podcast on the platform until further notice. What happens with those um, three particular um, bold face names will be interesting. You know, there was a tweet that went around and said, you know, Taylor Swift could end Joe Rogan with one tweet. I think ultimately we run down, listen, as a journalist, someone who believes in free speech, we head down a precarious path when we allow people uh, to try to demand people be fired over, you know, uh, specific episodes or bringing up uh, controversial subjects. Now, obviously, you can fact check his most recent episode. Spotify says they will be putting, you know, warnings going forward. They can only do so much. But ultimately, if you, you know, uh, again, you can take issue with some of the things that were said on the episode, the need to fact check some of that stuff, but ultimately ending the man's show or kicking him off, deplatforming him over that seems a bit extreme. And again, you see all the other platforms still dealing with the ramifications of their previous decisions. Twitter banning Donald Trump, Facebook having kind of their their third party Supreme Court of Facebook that makes major rulings over deplatforming decisions. How do you make sure that you're doing that fairly over a billion users in 200 languages in uh, 200 countries? David, how, how do you see this from kind of a branding marketing perspective with the platforms and the creators? I think at first it's a debacle for everyone that won't actually lead to many actions whatsoever. I thought that that uh, Spotify took a, a really wishy-washy stance. Uh, um, that's honestly like trying to please everyone and pleasing no one. Um, Joe Rogan is going to be Joe Rogan. It's not like he's had some overnight epiphany here. Um, but I, I think it does get very interesting when talking about responsibility. And there, there's another side that I, I, I've seen start to come up on, on Twitter, and that's from uh, music artists themselves. And where Spotify is doing with Joe Rogan is in a completely different league from the experience that most have with Spotify. Namely, for instance, uh, most to your point, you know, Spotify can host Joe Rogan's podcast without paying him a nine-figure contract, right? Like, so they're investing a hundred million dollars in this particular creator. And if you look at the experience of uh, of recording artists who then share what it's like to get their what point oh three cents of the stream, that's actually going to the record label if they're represented, um, and is not actually going in their pockets. And uh, you know, seeing one artists speak out about how they get a million streams a month that Spotify is like, this is good PR for you, you know, um, but it's not actually hitting their pockets. I So I think the discussions about how, how Spotify endorses their talent in a really huge way and, and, and have that, like the, certain people become their talent. Um, and then most of the people that Spotify really built its company on and not seeing the same degree uh, of value that they're getting out of it and just kind of like forced to deal with the 
devil they know and get that awareness while I can and hope that they can monetize it some other way. It's it reminds me of why, you know, people ask, you know, those of us in the news industry, like, well, why, you know, why aren't Netflix and Hulu and these all these folks getting into news? And I was like, because getting into news uh, and this type of thing is very, very tricky. Um, so Spotify investing huge amounts of money in Joe Rogan, you know, bringing on artists and labels and having a massive library of music is one thing. Bring on folks that are discussing controversial political issues is a next level responsibility. And like being at a place like CBS for a decade, you know, we took very seriously the responsibility of any single guest we put on, any single reporter we put on, any single anchor, what they're saying, what they're discussing, fact checking it, having standards department um, for every minute element. Does the commercial that was bought in that show that's going to air 20 minutes after that story, like, do they need to be not adjacent to each other or do they need to be further apart? Like, there's so many questions and so many things that are discussed at kind of the more traditional media platforms. All these questions, it seems like these tech companies are learning on the fly. Like, oh, we need a rule for that. We need a standard for that. Um, How are we going to handle that? Uh, At the same time, what David's talking about, which is Spotify is also the Kleenex of music streaming, and they have an incredible amount of power and incredible amount of brand equity. And so they're like, we we don't need to kill our $100 million investment because ultimately, where are our customers going to go? And it's funny, in Joe Rogan's apology, he says, like, I don't even research my guests, which I think is partially a cop out because I'm sure he does, because the interviews of oftentimes are very interesting. And so I'm sure he does interview them. But like that kind of leads into the point most like is this is is the entertainer versus journalist thing? Is this uh, better, worse? What do you think about kind of the, the, the power of Joe Rogan in general? Well, it reminds me, by the way, it's not it's not Joe Rogan alone. It reminds me that one of the lawsuits that's been filed against Fox News on the election, uh, in particular, Tucker Carlson. T- part of Tucker Carlson's defense in that lawsuit is I'm an entertainer, not a journalist. I don't even know why people take me seriously. Like, why would people like take me literally? And you're like, you're on a network that literally has news in its name. But so I think that, you know, it works for certain purposes. Like, we're a news organization. Oh, wait, you're suing me. I'm an entertainer. And I think there's a lot of folks who are riding that line this day and age. You know, we just had a reality talk show host president. Um, and so ultimately, these lines have been completely erased to a certain extent. And you're seeing, you know, entertainers. I mean, even the controversy, the other controversy of the week, the Whoopi Goldberg controversy. She's a talk show host. She made a controversial comment in relation to uh, the Holocaust and racism. So suddenly it's become a news issue. But, you know, it's also, well, well she's on an entertainment show. So how much responsibility does she have? Well, she has a huge platform and a huge audience. And so it goes back and forth and on and on. And ultimately, this falls on the CEO and the leadership of the company. And ultimately, with, with great power comes great responsibility and you see, you saw with Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook for years, which is like we don't, we don't have power over that. We're a social media uh, company. And you're like, actually, you're where fifty percent of the world gets their news. Sometimes, like you have incredible responsibility, and the influence your platform has uh, is way beyond what you can even believe. And so, uh, you know, I think that this is Spotify's wake up call, and one would hope going forward they use this lesson better than Facebook and other companies have used their lessons. It sounds like either we reach a standard where everyone has responsibility or no one does. And that's, I mean, uh, either either way sounds scary as hell to me, um, but I, I don't know how, whether you're, uh, whether you're Whoopi Goldberg or Joe Rogan, uh, uh, or you know, do, do you really split hairs if you're on, 
you know, Fox News or CNBC or you know, how any is or like it, it's yeah. I mean, th- this seems to be like one of the questions of the century here. Yeah, especially the question, big, big question on this program. Moving on, crypto had a terrible January, the worst sell off since the crypto winter of 2018. At one point, Bitcoin fell to $35,000 a token, almost half the way down from its peak. This was after a year where everyone learned what crypto, NFT, Web3 was, and it became the big focal point of brand marketing last year. So I wanted to ask you, David, how do you think this affects like all of uh, marketing after this huge sell-off that everyone saw. I think it might be a relief where you can get into a, a few agency pitch meetings that don't have NFT or crypto ideas for at least a couple of weeks until the next wave uh, starts building up. I've been part of the problem at times because uh, I've been there where it's like, yeah, you know, uh, e- even in early days of Facebook, you know, when they started letting brands in, it's just, okay, well, now... Now we need a Facebook page idea every time we go and and do some pitch meetings. That iPhone came out and a year later with the App Store, and it's okay. Now we need a mobile app idea, even for companies that have no business having one. And if you're not getting that, yeah, you know, there's some of the concern that oh wait, like you know, wait, there's no metaverse idea in here. That yeah, you know, uh, so are are you not paying attention to that? Um, so there there is this fear of missing out culture. Uh, that is that makes it hard to have a lot of honest conversations. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have enough people who've been doing this for a while where bullshit detectors are up, and it's like, okay, so uh, uh, figuring out why we're doing like, like if we're doing this purely for it, uh, just marketing stunt purposes because this is going to just keep us in a few more news cycles. Then yeah, you're probably not going to want to do that when everyone's hating on the topic of that news cycle, but there will be some other opportunities that come up to then go and ride, you know, ride that another time. If it's, well, we want to experiment with doing something because, you know, we want to be at the forefront of this. We don't know if this is going to work. I think the idea of NFTs as a digital complement to physical goods and a proof of ownership and, and a shareable asset when you're buying that pair of Nikes, Maybe you take a picture of it and post it on Instagram. Uh, most of the cultural interactions that happen with that are when you're out on the street or when you're playing basketball and then you know, they see the shoes and you relate to you know which season of Air Jordans they are. And, and then you have that cachet uh, or maybe you're a proud collector and you're keeping it in a, in a box somewhere. But if you have the digital version of that that can show the proof of ownership and then gives you access to an exclusive club. You get access to some of the new drops that, you know, Nike's rewarding you. It, uh, yeah, you, you get, you know, you know, you get Air Jordan himself, jo- you know, as a special guest on some event that's going on and that, you know, that every single person in the room is just diehard, you know, collector or, or at least a brand enthusiast, then that becomes really exciting. And, and, and maybe that'll all go to shit too, right? Like, like maybe none of that'll work, but it just unlocks these possibilities that you didn't necessarily have before. And I bet so many crypto companies raise so much money and a lot of the crypto things seem to be marketing schemes in and of it themselves. So I, I bet a lot of people are moving to crypto because it's like, it's, it's really... Th- how can you differentiate yourself when you're a coin or a, a metaverse? It's really comes down to marketing. 
it comes down to marketing. It comes down to what some of the value propositions uh, are. Uh, I started experimenting because I, I got access about a year ago to join the Rally.io platform, uh, which which I think is the first one with with any scale that launched for creators, and that could be. Uh, uh, I mean, really, any kind of content creators, and and they started getting some business folks involved who have you know, newsletters or communities or other kinds of audiences, uh, and and so this has been like, how do we use this as a way to acknowledge people who support the creators and give more access, uh, give more access, connect them with each other, um, and also have this opportunity where there is this rising tide effect where you know, the more people who are holding this coin and transacting with it and doing some interesting things with it. Maybe you can tell us more about that. So you created the serial marketer um, community, and then you launched the CMO coin on top of that through Rally. Rally. And yep. and so how did that work? Why did you want to do it? Is it like raising money for the membership or, or how did that work? A friend of mine, Jeremiah Oyang, he, he, he's been an advisor to Rally. He came to me and he, he said, how would you like to have a David coin? And I'm like, well, that sounds <laughs> cool as hell. Um, years ago, when you first started seeing these initial coin offerings, I looked into to see I, I just how hard is it to set up? And you actually did need some capital to go and and do that. Um, so I, I really just wanted to pursue it more on a more on a lark. But when Jay came to me about this one, I'm like, well, I. I love the idea. I don't want to make it about me as David. I want to make this about the serial marketers community. Had some back and forth within the community about this, uh, keeping it very vague. And the CMO or the chief marketing officer coin was born. And then this just gives an opportunity to go and and create uh, rewards for members, even, even little things like like for what I can give members, if I want to do a research survey within the community, I can go on the platform bonfire, for instance, post a question and get feedback and then reward people with these coins in a really seamless way. There are all kinds of ways that the value exchange can work both ways. I was so eager to come in there and experiment. Look, like it, you know, if it turns into something that's a huge financial win, I don't mind. Yeah, uh, uh, great. But But my mindset going into this is if this is worth absolutely nothing, uh, is this worth my time to be involved? Is this good for the community? Can this create opportunity? Can it unlock value? Moving on. NFT hackers? Three hackers made a million dollars ripping off NFT owners. They figured out a way to hack the price. OpenSea's the eBay for crypto said it was just a bug. A Board 8 Yacht Club NFT worth almost $200,000 was bought for $1,800. And blockchain transactions are irreversible. One hacker bought seven NFTs for $133,000 and sold them right away for almost a million. Sounds bigger than a buck. But it's all trackable on the blockchain, right? Wrong. They clean the money through Tornado Cash, an NFT money laundering service. How does that exist? So they can't track the money. OpenSea says they'll reimburse the NFT holders. But their first reaction to Coindesk was It's an issue that arises because of the nature of blockchain. Imagine your inventory goes empty on Amazon because of a bug and they say Being an Amazon retailer can be dangerous. Isn't it fun? But now hackers are stealing NFTs, cleaning the money, and disappearing without a trace. And everyone was worried about screenshots. Stay tuned. David, this is not a very good marketing for an NFT. Do you think people will be like more cautious when they look at NFTs after this? There's, there's not too much recourse. It's uh, something where uh, it's good to see OpenSea ultimately 
um, uh, uh, taken above board or approach with this, especially given their company valuation that they valued most recently at like 13 billion or something like that. It's good to know that you know, they supposedly have their, uh, you know, their customers' backs. I think that there will be some of these benefits of going with an, a name brand and it's going to, uh, uh, you know, there's going to be some rich get richer effect uh, when it comes to that, especially if they, you know, build in something resembling an insurance policy for their customers. You know, they can use those multi-billion dollar valuations, say like, okay, well, we might need a billion or two of this just to refund just like crazy things that happen here that we're not predicting. So uh, ideally, you know, that uh, some of that is, uh, is like the, you know, the worst case scenario uh, that can appear if they do a public filing, now, it can be really bad. Yeah, uh, and so, so, uh, but they can mitigate against some of that because stories like this, uh, by now, should be expected uh, at least to some degree. You know, I think that we're still in the wild, wild west. This is like internet early '90s, and ultimately, you know, a lot will be figured out here either by platforms or by people who find that there are flaws in the platforms and, you know, see an opportunity to help protect the marketplace. You know, I, you know, in the, in the 90s, like banking felt really sketchy on the internet. Um, frankly, you know, did you trust email in the beginning, et, et cetera, et cetera. And it took time to feel like you could start to put your personal information online and make, you know, huge life uh, altering purchases um, on the internet. Uh, eventually, you know, we were able to um, develop a, a system developed that uh, gained trust among consumers. And I think you have a lot of early adopters here in this NFT world and this crypto world. Uh, but the vast majority of folks who either are still unaware or uninterested or don't trust, they're going to need big players uh, with names that they can start to get behind. I mean, even buying Bitcoin and Ether, you know, five or six years ago, when there weren't these major players like Coinbase, et cetera, around, there were a lot less folks doing it. Now, obviously, the folks who did get in early with some of these smaller platforms have done much, much better. But, you know, for there to be mass adoption, you need to have uh, a certain level of reliability and also an understanding that there's certain risk inherent. I mean, even these days, when it comes to credit cards and banks, et cetera, 30 years into the internet, there are still scammers out there who are stealing billions from people. Um, so you have a certain individual responsibility, but right now the responsibility is on the side of the platforms to build systems that uh, ensure trust. Well, we'll see how this plays out. We're gonna end it there. Thanks so much for watching. You can find uh, David Berkowitz, check out his website at serialmarketers.net. And of course you can find Moshe at uh, Instagram, M-O-S-H-E-H -H on Instagram. And we're actually gonna take off for a couple weeks. So I will uh, see you soon. Thanks so much for watching. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. By the way, we also are a video podcast where you can see extra memes, charts, visuals about the segments. So you can find that on YouTube or subscribe to our Substack newsletter for exclusive updates. And thank you so much for listening. See you next week.